0: Well, thank you very much for the invitation. This is the second time I've spoken at the seminar and I've attended countless times. I think it's an excellent series, so I was really pleased to be invited back. Can you hear me at the back if I sit down? Um, So, what I want to talk about today is a project which comes from the book on Evaluating Transitional Justice in Sierra Leone. I was due to write a chapter on whether or not the uh, transitional justice process there had been a success, as we had asked all of the authors uh, for the book to write. And as editor, I saw the pieces that were coming in before I got round to writing my own chapter uh, and decided quite early that I couldn't write a piece on whether or not transitional justice processes in Sierra Leone had been a bit of success because there were so many different views of what success meant that what I wanted to do is take a step back and look a little bit more broadly at what kind of claims people make about success and failure in transitional justice. What counts as a success? How do you measure it? How do you compare successes and failures within the same process to come up with a single judgment and so on? So I, what I want to do from that, and I, I wrote the chapter and... Um, looked a lot at some of the chapters within the book and the way that they had defined success and what I'm trying to do now is is make the research a little bit more general so still looking at the case of Sierra Leone but looking at the literature more broadly um, and trying to pull out some learnings that uh, will form a journal article so this is a really useful stage for me to present this research to you because there's still lots of room for me to change it. It's also a slightly vulnerable stage because I'm not confident in the conclusions, I'm not sure whether the structure of the paper is right, so I really value your feedback um, on, on the way that I'm putting the, uh, the, the thinking together at the moment. There's a sense at the moment this is a bit of a kind of laundry list of factors which get marked out as success and different uh, challenges that are facing people who have tried to evaluate success, uh, so if you can think about it in different ways of structuring it, then again, do let me know. So why look at Sierra Leone um, and why stay with this focus on Sierra Leone? I haven't got very many slides, but I thought I would just pepper the talk with a few. Um, Sierra Leone should be an easy case. It's regarded by many practitioners and scholars as a success for transitional justice, Ban moon has said in the quotas up there, Sierra Leone represents one of the world's most successful cases of post-conflict recovery, peacekeeping and peace building. In 2012, the US described Sierra Leone as one of the most stable countries in a volatile region. Uh, it recorded a very high real GDP growth, averaging 5.3% between 2007 and 2011, and the rate of growth in the Sierra Leone economy in 2012 was 15.2%, faster uh, than any other rate recorded in a sub-Saharan African state that year. As well as a strengthening economy, Sierra Leone uh, looks out to have signs of a strong polity. Uh, So there have been three elections since the civil war without significant uh, unrest, including a change of regime. And in 2012, the third general election since the end of the civil war was held, which returned Corona to power. So it would seem, in terms of top-line democratic practices and economic indicators, a successful case of post-conflict transition. Now, as we were writing the book, the outbreak of Ebola happened, and there are... (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, the, the outbreak of Ebola is relevant here, but much later in the paper when I talk about uh, political economy, um, so I don't consider it at any length, but clearly uh, any judgment that Sierra Leone is a thriving country um, would have to take into account the fact that its public health system uh, is so weak that it's uh, just suffered many thousands of deaths uh, from an Ebola outbreak. But in the literature, Sierra Leone is regarded to be a success. And what we have to think then through is to what extent could the success be regarded uh, as a result of the transitional justice processes which were implemented in Sierra Leone after the end of the Civil War in 2002. So it was a special court for Sierra Leone, a criminal justice process, a hybrid criminal justice process which was a blend of both Sierra Leonean law and personnel and international criminal law. There's also a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a reparations scheme, there were local justice initiatives, uh, and there was an amnesty, which was later overridden for the most serious perpetrators. But claims of transitional justice success should be relatively easy to analyse in this case. The mechanisms have largely completed their work now, a decade has passed since the end of the Civil War, and there's a lot of published research in the area. And yet, As I talk about in the piece, there's surprisingly little agreement on what should counter success and whether those standards have been reached. even in an easy case, this turns out to be hard. And the lack of agreement has got significant consequences for what we should learn from Sierra Leone and what we should seek to transpose to other post-conflict situations. There continues to be, and you may um, have found this yourselves, a substantial demand for policy-relevant research. Policymakers wanting to know what works in post-conflict and post-authoritarian states. Should there be a truth commission? Do reparations scheme work? Should there be a criminal court? Who should it try? And transitional justice scholars are more and less modest about the kind of advice they offer, and you'll be aware of some studies which are uh, you know, declarative in the fact that human rights trials lead to human rights improvements, lead to improvements in democracy and so on. There's been a lot of this kind of cascade literature that suggests that, these, uh, that successes are clear, and I think that what even, even in this case, even in the easy case, uh, shows that this is not quite so clear at all. So in the first half of the article, the draft article, Um, identify the kind of factors that are claimed both in the literature on Sierra Leone and also in transitional justice more broadly to demonstrate transitional justice success or failure. Outcomes I think are by far the most prevalent way, and this is um, an impression. Uh, rather than I haven't done any counting of uh, the, the way that uh, of the claims that get made, that may be a step which is necessary for the paper, it may be the next step in the research. But it feels to me The outcomes uh, are the most prevalent focus of the research. But scholars also make claims about the mandates of institutions, about the way in which they're established and the way they function, about the involvement of victims and affected populations and what they think about the processes after they've happened, uh, about... And separate kinds of claims made about adherence to universal normative standards, and then there are claims about cost effectiveness. I note the conceptual and methodological problems of each of them fairly briefly as I talk about them, and then I add to the list of factors the political economy of transitional justice, which I think is, uh, is under-researched uh, and gets, uh, has too little priority in this field. So what I then do, and then, um, actually it's kind of the last third of the paper at the moment because so I spend quite a lot of time talking about these indicators of success, um, is I talk about five key challenges in judging transitional justice success, and there's another slide on this later. Um, so on uh, the possibility of success, the way that causality works, temporality, whether or not you can aggregate micro-judgments about success and failure, and generalizability. And I conclude, and it really is a paper of lists, um, that there are four tools that can help us bring about the best forms of, political just, uh, of transitional justice in practice and the best evaluations, which are deep engagement with context, uh, mixed methods, reflexivity, and political judgment. Now that's the really thin bit of the article at the moment and where I am thinking about the structure of the piece is whether to extend the end and try and come up with something useful. So I'm gonna go through with you in just a moment all of the various ways in which success gets evaluated and judged, and I can talk quite a lot about those and show that there are contradictions there, show that it's very difficult to ever come to an aggregated judgment. At the end of the paper, I've just got some suggestions of where we could go from here. I'm dissatisfied with the amount of suggestions that I have, but I'm not sure that from the basis of the research I've done, I can actually come up with anything that's more substantive at the moment. So. Um, then I'm particularly interested in feedback on uh, whether the paper kind of dribbles out and needs something much more substantial, needs a lot more research on, okay, so these are the things that should be looked at, or whether there's enough there just to show the, the current spaghetti mix of all of these different claims that get made and the way that they're not actually related to each other and these different literatures don't speak to each other, whether that in itself is enough for this stage, I hope it is. So the indicators of transitional justice success very large number of factors that get claimed to show success or failure. Um, And the Sierra Leonean case, I think, is representative of a broader transitional justice literature. Impact evaluation is a central concern in the most uh, recent literature, but what determines impact is still controversial. And I I discuss the various ways that success is measured in response to the Sierra Leonean case, but I do think that these um, are generalizable. So by far the most prevalent measure of success is outcome. But there's a lot of disagreement over which outcomes should be measured, and there are contradictory results from recent studies on whether transitional justice does in fact lead to these various outcomes. So SCAR identifies the most common areas on which transitional justice are expected to impact, as democratisation, the rule of law, increased respect for human rights, human rights culture, violence reduction, peace and reconciliation. There's quite a lot to impact. Uh, Tom's role in Paris in the SIPs report, um, which started to look at the way that uh, transitional justice is measured and did so very well, talk about um, the impact of transitional justice on six areas as the most important to assess. Uh, and they are respect for core human rights to life and the inviolability of the human person, political violence, the rule of law, democratization, popular perceptions of regime legitimacy, and a political culture of human rights and diversity. Clark identifies transitional justice as a purposive concept which consists of four essential goals, truth, accountability, reparation, reconciliation, and I could go on, and I do go on in the paper to list these various um, claims that get made about what it is that transitional justice is expected to impact upon, so what you might want to go and measure to see if transitional justice has had an impact. And I think something that's worth picking out of these lists is the assumption of universality within them. They're intended to be the standards against which all transitional justice programmes can be measured. There's no claim that I'm aware of that gets made that says, in Sierra Leone, it's particularly important to look at the effects of transitional justice on X. Or one would expect, because of the context of Sierra Leone, that you would see effect Y. These tend to be claims that get made across all context in which uh, transitional justice mechanisms are used. So with the case of um, Sierra Leone you have various outcomes that get claimed either for single transitional justice mechanisms or for combinations of them and you remember transitional justice programmes might have a range of mechanisms within them so evaluating the transitional justice programme might involve saying something about in this case the special court and the reparations programme or the uh, the truth commission and local justice initiatives. So, in terms of the special court, the Security Council has commended it for uh, strengthening stability in Sierra Leone and the sub region and bringing an end to impunity. No evidence gets offered for this, it's just a statement. It has stabilised the sub region. It also commends the outreach activities of the court for contributing to the restoration of the rule of law throughout Sierra Leone and Liberia and the region. Others claim the court has deterred atrocity, again, often without uh, any evidence being offered. These tend to be public speeches, So the president of the uh, International Centre for Transitional Justice, David Torbert, at the time, said that the Taylor trial provided a strong signal to those who want to commit horrific crimes through surrogates and puppets. They may not easily hide behind complicated legal constructs and are more certain to face the bar of justice. Clark uh, has a, a rather more balanced, this is in um, an excellent book actually on, um, on the special court, on evaluating the uh, impact of the special court. As a more balanced assessment, so she argues that the court enhanced the degree of truth and accountability uh, within Sierra Leone. It detracted from the goal of reparations, and I'll say a little bit more about that later, and it added to the goal of reconciliation. Uh, sorry, added, excuse me, added little to the goal of reconciliation. So the court had basically no effects on reconciliation, but probably did enhance the degree of truth and accountability and was actively harmful to the reparations program. So one of the other outcomes that gets assessed, and this, this may be the one that the, the majority of the literature focuses on is the provision of truth. TRCs and increasingly courts, interestingly enough, are judged on whether they have provided a truthful and authoritative record of a conflict and the crimes that took place within it. And this is something the Sierra Leonean TRC is particularly commended for, published a very detailed report, along with a shorter version for secondary schools and another that was directed at children. Now Chris Mahoney and Yasmin Suka wrote a chapter in the book that I'm editing on the TRC and they do applaud the Commission um, for its account of key incidents in Sierra Leone. What they note though uh, is that it was unable to illuminate the role of external actors and events in large part because of the politics of its its establishment. So the roles that the US and the UK in particular played in pushing for a commission to be set up meant that politically it was very difficult for the commissioners to establish the truth of or to uh, even include within the report any kind of substantial consideration of the role that external actors played, external political actors and external economic actors. And the role of the special court uh, in providing an authoritative narrative is also uh, quite debatable, in fact much more debatable. There's another chapter in the book uh, by Wayne Jordache and Matthew Crowe, who were uh, lawyers, uh, Wayne was the um, uh, lawyer, tweets his essay in the RUF leaders' trial. And what they argue in their chapter, the, the court was incentivized to produce a false record, to demonise the RUF and to prop up the Kabar government. So the role of providing truth, once you start looking at the politics of these mechanisms, um, is not difficult to call into question. Now I have another issue with this that I use only a few sentences to talk about here but I've talked about elsewhere is that courts are the wrong venue to provide uh, an authoritative record of the truth because they focus on the role of individual actors. So it's very tough for a court um, to think through what collective actors uh, contributed to a conflict there were plenty of collective actors, um, who I will uh, mention later on, who could have been included within the truth of the Sierra Leonean conflict, but because it was predominantly uh, a criminal court which was dealing with uh, accountability issues, it was, there was a concentration on individuals. Uh, so there's another outcome, and the outcome section is by far the longest... Um, because the outcomes are, um, as I say, most prevalent. Um, So there's a final outcome that features in the legal literature, but very rarely in the more broad transitional justice literature, and that's at the contributions that courts can make to international jurisprudence. So moving away from the context that this is what the transitional justice programme uh, uh, gave to Sierra Leone, this this is what the transitional justice programme, in particular the special court, contributed to international jurisprudence. Uh, um, Brenda Hollis who is the final prosecutor at the special court wrote a chapter in the book and argued very strongly that uh, the court was extremely successful because it generated jurisprudence that can be used in other international courts on issues like forced marriage, sexual slavery the use of child soldiers and attacks on peacekeepers in contrast, the Ash chapter, who is a defense lawyer at the court, says that the jurisprudence of the special court is, is um, extremely worrying, in particular the way that judgments were reached on uh, joint criminal enterprise, um, and is very concerned that this legislation will be used as precedent in future trials. Now these are quite separate, the, um, jurisdiction, the, the jurisprudence on joint criminal enterprise and the work that was done on forced marriage and so on, but even within this actually relatively detailed area of the success of this one particular transitional justice mechanism, there's no agreement on whether the jurisprudence of the courts could constitute a success is something that has added positively uh, to the international uh, transitional justice uh, portfolio. Now these confusions I think and and contradictions aren't surprising when we look at the more general literature on transitional justice recently. Even where the relevant outcomes are agreed on, so what it is that we're looking to see an impact upon, recent research has produced quite contradictory results. So Kim and Sikink have done a very large study that suggests that human rights prosecutions and truth and reconciliation commissions lead to improvements in human rights protections and also that trials deter future atrocity. This is in contrast to the work that Snyder and Benjamin Murray did that said that trials don't tend to deter atrocity, in fact they can threaten peace, and amnesties are a far better way to guarantee durable peace than trials are. And the most comprehensive large end study that's been done today, Olson, Payne and Writer find in contrast to both of these studies that single transitional justice mechanisms don't have significant positive effects on human rights or democracy when they don't look at peace. And they find that combinations of mechanisms, including amnesty, tend to bring improvements to human rights and democracy. Tom's one in Paris in the SIPS report also find that the evidence for transitional justice producing either positive or negative outcomes is weak. And they have a great quote that they note that the intensity of the debate over um, transitional justice and its obvious policy significance, uh, the conclusion that there's actually very little evidence might come as a surprise, and they find it striking that so many commentators have expressed such strong positions on the basis of so little evidence, and certainly the work that I've done um, would suggest that that is true. There's very little evidence to take a strong position on transitional justice broadly, um, or on transitional justice in this particular context. Okay, so moving down the list, what else do people make claims about success? One of the ways that people narrow down the way that you could judge transitional justice mechanisms is by looking at the mandate of institutions. So what are the objectives that are listed in the founding documents uh, or in the mandates? it's probably gonna be easier to judge, and may even be fairer to judge, whether a transitional justice institution has succeeded in achieving its mandate than it would be to prove, for instance, that it's contributed um, to sustaining peace. In the case of Sierra Leone, there's lots of debate on the uh, the special court's mandate in particular. So the mandate the court had was to prosecute those persons who bore the greatest responsibility for serious violations of international humanitarian and Sierra Leonean law committed in Sierra Leone since the 30th of November 1996. And there are debates here about whether President Kabar of Sierra Leone should have also been tried as Samhinga Norman, who was one of the defendants senior in the chain of command, whose defense minister at the time later became president. Uh, president Campoori of Burkina Faso, who funded and armed the IUF, Gaddafi, who's, on whose territory the IUF was formed and who continued to fund them. Uh, but then, and I'm now talking about some of these collective actors that the court will struggle to, um, uh, would struggle to prosecute as a, as a group and they clearly could single like individuals. But ECOMOG forces are uh, also participating in looting and the bombardment of civilian targets. But mercenaries such as sandline and executive outcomes who were involved there's no objective standard on who bears the greatest responsibility, and in the end, the court prosecuted those who the office of the prosecutor, judged to bear significant responsibility and who the evidence was available to try now skeptics say actually. The lack of prosecution for people like Campoori and Gaddafi was much more to do with political pressure that those states that were funding the establishment of the court had no interest in their links to people outside Sierra Leone and, and very limited in Liberia uh, to be exposed within the court. But assessing an institution according to its mandate is to accept the way that it or the political actors that established it defines its goals. And mandates are political documents as much as they are uh, ethical documents, they're subject to negotiation, they're subject to wrangling, those who have power in the establishment of these institutions have interests in staying on the good side and the institution finding uh, that they did not have uh, accountability for acts within conflict. So The mandate of the special court limited the court's consideration of individuals. and there are various other uh, group actors who the court was you know, one you could have found individuals with an eco market, it would have been virtually impossible to look for the court to look at the uh, potentially criminal behaviour uh, of organisations like mining companies uh, and private military companies. And the states and the private actors who were supplying arms to combatants were left to be dealt with by a very poorly resourced truth commission uh, which had no retributive powers. So would question, um, the the way that mandates are treated in this literature is often as if they are um, in themselves good and uh, and if the institution managed to meet its mandate, that would in itself be good. And I say something else in the article, which I won't say here about the Truth Commission, I think even the mandate, you need to ask the questions of whether the mandate is setting up objectives that you would want the institution to achieve, or whether it's also um, uh, 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 preventing certain kinds of accountability. Um, and certain kinds of uh, uh, therefore transitional justice. So other judgments um, of success. The processes of establishment and functioning of institutions, the extent to which these mechanisms were established legitimately or that the will of pol- particular political interests. Critics will often talk about those political actors that had interests in setting up institutions and preventing, uh, uh, preventing others from being set up. So TLC usually isn't questioned uh, on this basis. Um, but the court often is. And the kind of things that people talk about, the extent to which the uh, transitional justice processes, uh, once the institutions were established, were inclusive, were they fair, were they free from political interference, were they reflective of local, political, legal, and cultural contexts, were they observant of the highest legal standards, and were they balanced in terms of targeting uh, all parties to a conflict. And of these, public engagement has received uh, quite a lot of, um, uh, of attention recently as the UN Secretary General um, has argued in a report on transitional justice, the most successful transitional justice experiences are a large part of their success to the quantity and quality of public and victim consultation carried out. Local consultation enables a better understanding of the dynamics of past conflict, patterns of discrimination and types of victims, and he cites Sierra Leone as an example of this more open and consultative trend. Also arguing um, that it's essential that transitional justice efforts are based uh, on meaningful public participation involving national legal professionals, government, women, minorities, affected groups and civil society. Now, there's no evidence again that gets offered for these kinds of claims. They just sound good I and mean, people don't tend to dispute these kinds of claims because they sound good. Yeah, everybody should be consulted. Lots of people should be involved. But there's a lot more work, that, a lot more claims that are being made about public participation, a lot of work that's done to survey people uh, than to ask about whether or not they supported institutions being set up, whether they think they were successful. Um, and certainly Hollis, uh, in her chapter in the book, relies quite heavily on a survey that was done of Sierra Leoneans saying that these institutions, uh, the Special Court in particular, uh, was, uh, was a success, they supported it. Another thing you see, um, just very briefly in uh, in this case, is um, claims about firsts. And I find this really quite interesting. Lots of people talk about how successful Sierra Leone was as a transitional justice case, because it was full of firsts. Had the first hybrid court, the first criminalization of the use of child soldiers and forced marriage. The first court to conclude a trial of a sitting head of state. Now, of course, there's no inherent reason to believe that an institution that does something first does it right. It's likely that what these arguments are actually being used to put forward is a kind of justice cascade argument that once something has happened for the first time, it makes it easier for it to happen again. Now, as long as you think that what's happened is good, and I do think that a lot of these first were good things, um, you can say, well, that perhaps is, um, it may be a good thing. It's not a mark of success of the transitional justice programme in Sierra Leone, though. It's a different kind of claim about the way that the practice of transitional justice uh, is developing. Okay, so I mentioned a little about the um, involvement and reaction of victims and uh, affected populations and the work that's being done uh, on surveys, but you also have a group of critics, Tim Kelsall and Roslyn Shaw in particular, who show that the uh, Sierra Leonean, um, the TLC, which they do a lot of work on, and also the courts, um, didn't speak to local understandings of justice and reconciliation. Those who rely on surveys will argue with that and say, well actually, when you ask people, are you happy with it, they will say that they did. But there's, again, there's no agreement within those um, who uh, think that the role of, uh, of the public views uh, should be taken into account. There's no agreement on the Sierra in case debt. So very much at the other end of the spectrum from what, public, what the people think and what outcomes you see is an idea that transitional justice mechanisms should adhere to universal normative standards. Um, and that you can judge these institutions by the the goals that they set for themselves and the actors they involve and another sexually general claim here is that, and this is a quote the challenges of post-conflict environments necessitate necessitate an approach that balances a variety of goals including the pursuit of accountability truth and reparation reparation, preservation of peace and the building of democracy and the rule of law so fairly similar uh, as the standards that get measured in some of the outcome work Also, it says this, and this is a a repeated, uh, the earlier view, a comprehensive strategy should pay special attention to abuses committed against groups most affected by conflict, such as minorities, the elderly, children, women, prisoners, displaced persons, and refugees, and establish particular measures for their protection. Now this is very clearly based on normative standards. And I did try and find out if there is any evidence to suggest that transitional justice processes are more successful if they uh, take into consideration the particular effects of conflict on these groups. And there's nothing that I can find. This is very much a normative standard. You should include the perspectives of displaced persons or the perspectives of women, because it's a good thing to do so, because it's the right thing to do, not because it's likely to have any uh, effects upon the success. Uh, of the transitional justice mechanisms although it gets smuggled into discussions of success the Truth Commission writes a report for children involves children within it and is therefore successful so finally and very briefly on the list of what I have found in the literature is cost effectiveness Um, donors tend to be very concerned about this um, and again, there are contradictory claims that are made, particularly about the special courts. Uh, a hybrid model should be cheaper. It turned out to be tremendously expensive. Um, the total cost of the special court was $250 million for the trials of 13 NITs. It certainly doesn't compare favourably to the cost of domestic criminal trials. The funding model of the court was based on voluntary contributions, which also led to real inefficiencies. The UN had to step in twice to bail the court out when its voluntary contributions um, dried up, and the court looked like it was going to have to stop. And court officials, including from the Office of the Prosecutor, spent a great deal of time soliciting funds. Again, this is not what you want your court officials to be doing, is going and schmoozing political actors to try and get cash. Now linked to this, and this is kind of unhelpful, having found a long list of things, I think actually I think there's something else that should be thought about when evaluating transitional justice, and that's the political economy of transitional justice. Um, It hasn't received a lot of attention, um, and the role of the political economy in poor countries as Sierra Leone is, seems to me to be uh, particularly pressing. So there's some work that's been done on the voluntary contributions model, for instance of the special courts um, and the market-based rationality that you see uh, within the uh, Sierra only accountability mechanisms. But I think there are three other respects in which the political economy of transitional justice is likely to be important and would need further investigation. One is that the success uh, or otherwise of reparations schemes receives very little critical attention. I think there's just some work that's been done recently, actually, I'm not sure whether it may even be in your series of, um, uh, of somebody who's looking at reparations to try and judge the success of reparations schemes, but there's not much work that exists at the moment. We can also look at the financial spoils that are available uh, to post-conflict states that implement those uh, transitional justice mechanisms that are currently popular in the international community, and it could be indicators of a particular kind of success, whether you manage to get a lot of cash from a truth commission. Um, And then finally the implications of choosing particular kinds of transitional justice i.e. those that don't take into account the socio-economic precursors of conflict in whether or not those mechanisms are likely to do anything to address the root causes of conflict. So on reparations, a reparations scheme in Sierra Leone was not set up in a timely or efficient way and reasonable reparations have not been paid to those who are most severely affected uh, by the war. Reparations were probably the most important aspect of the transitional justice program uh, to Sierra Leoneans. So, if we're interested in what the public thinks, a very large number of Sierra Leoneans who participated in the transitional justice mechanisms were expecting, often because they've been led to believe that they would get uh, material reward, uh, they were expecting to get material reward for their participation. But 53% of Sierra Leoneans still live below the national poverty line. But it took until 2008 for the government of Sierra Leone to found the Sierra Leonean Reparations Programme. this was hugely to the disappointment of people who had been for years participating within these transitional justice mechanisms. And also uh, very controversial is that ex-combatants got helped first. Um, There's some interesting work that's been done that looks at the way in which um, ex-combatants were able to uh, get monopoly of particular kinds of industries, motorbike taxis being one of them, because they were supported before victims were. So when the reparations program was finally established, victims were given a flat sum of $100 each, and told not to spend it all at once. And by 2013, the most severely affected were given payments of $1,400, no matter what it was that they'd suffered, and asked to sign documents giving assurances that they would not request any more. Now this reparations program was really thin and was very disappointing and took a huge amount of time and took a, it was very, I was in Sierra Leone at the time at which they were trying to register people for the reparations programme and some of the people at the outreach uh, department of the court were trying to help. The forms you had to fill in were incredibly difficult, very time consuming, there was no guarantee of money um, and uh, when the money eventually came it was very low. Now you might say, well look, there was something and, 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 and it may be that the other mechanisms didn't impact on this and this is something you can isolate and look at the success of alone. And I think that's not true and the work that Patricia Clark has done I think is really useful here. Both the special court and the reparations scheme were funded by voluntary contributions. The special court cost $250 million. The reparations program in the end managed to raise $4.4 million. It's hard to prove but it's not too much of a stretch to say that uh, the state's political actors, donors, uh, had a limit of how much money they were going to give to the Sierra Leone transitional justice process, and they directed their money towards the court. So we'd better be sure when we're making these kind of evaluations that if there is a limited amount of money that's available to pay towards transitional justice in states, that those who are advising policymakers are directing it in the right places, because it does look like there are trade-offs. It does look like there's an, a, a, an opportunity cost of this, the special court uh, was a, um, a decent reparations program. If you look at a different level of remove, the economic story looks to be a positive one. The um, overseas development aid looks at uh, initial site to be correlated to the establishment and operation of the transitional justice programme, uh, particularly the special court in Sierra Leone. So net overseas development aid per capita per annum has increased by an average of uh, 63% since the war and $1.7 billion worth of debt was cancelled through the heavily indebted Poor Countries Initiative. Of course you can't do a counterfactual analysis and prove that that Sierra Leone wouldn't have received much or all of this money anyway, but there's a big correlation at first sight between the largest donors to the Special Court of Sierra Leone and the largest contributors of overseas development aid to Sierra Leone, that's the US and the UK. The Special Court also featured a number of times in a document that the EU produced justifying um, its pledge of 242 million euros um, over the period uh, to the country. And then finally, on political economy, there's a much more radical aspect to taking economics seriously and evaluating transitional justice programmes. kind of liberal practices of transitional justice that focus on individual actors and, uh, and perhaps through commissions bringing changes to political institutions don't really say much about the socio-economic dimensions of conflict. And there's quite a lot of research that suggests that actually those dimensions are very important that if you don't confront the socioeconomic dimensions of conflict within Sierra Leone, that was things like very large amounts of disillusioned youth who saw a hugely corrupt government who weren't able to find employment for themselves, um, then you are not going to uh, to address what caused the conflict in the first place and therefore any peace that you see is likely to be an unstable peace. It's a peace which exists while the root causes of the conflict also exist, but they're existing without a spark. And uh, there are some analysts of Sierra Leone uh, who can't explain why, they have, why the conflict hasn't risen again because the root causes, many of the most important root causes, are still in place. Okay, so from looking at all of these different ways of talking about success within just this single case that should be the easy case, I'll talk on this, I'm, I'm going to talk relatively um, briefly about the final couple of slides. There are five challenges, I think, that can, need to be confronted when trying to sort through this work to come up with some kind of judgment. So the first is whether or not it was possible in any given situation um, for, the particular, for whatever it is you're measuring to be achieved. Now, Actually, when you think about post-conflict and post-authoritarian situations, it can be fairly miraculous that any institutions get set up. Uh, because you may have lost a lot of professionals within a war or within a regime. Um, You may have uh, um, funds that you can't rely on, that you're trying to use, uh, funds as they come in to go and get something set up, you're relying a lot on on, uh, the charitable donations of people's time. So the way in which these things tend to get judged is usually uh, against... Enormously unrealistic expectations uh, against a kind of ideal concept of justice, or an ideal concept of peace, which doesn't take into account what was possible. Knowing what was possible is a different challenge, um, but at least some, it seems to me that at least some judgment of what was possible uh, should play into any evaluation of success. Second, if you do see that markers of success um, uh, seem to exist in a given case, We've got to find a way of working out whether it was the transitional justice mechanisms that brought them about. It's not good enough simply to correlate the existence of mechanisms and some factors of success if we could agree on them. So transitional justice in Sierra Leone did precede improvements in human rights observance and democracy. But did the transitional justice programme cause these improvements? Or was it that the end of the Civil War uh, was a defeat, a military defeat rather than a negotiated solution that created the conditions in which these particular mechanisms could come about and also created the conditions in which you can see improvements to human rights and democracy, both of which supported in particular by continued UK intervention and support. The Brahm, um, in a study of truth commissions, uh, suggests that if democracy and human rights improvements are observed after the creation of a commission, this may be a reflection, in fact it's quite likely to be a reflection of a prior commitment to these kinds of improvements, to democracy and human rights, rather than the improvements being caused by the commission. And actually the commission itself is probably caused by the commitment to seeing these kinds of improvements, so both come from the same place. Now, you've got, as well as this kind of endogeneity problem, a problem of intervening variables. There are so many factors that could have influenced the outcomes. Just in Sierra Leone, for instance, there was a big UN peace-building fund, a massive international aid programme, a strong British military presence, uh, and a British investment in reforming the armed forces and the police. Uh, There was the creation of the Anti-Corruption Commission, and on and on. It's very difficult to separate out which causes led to which outcomes, if you're taking outcomes to be the measure of success. Now, one way to confront the challenge of causality, which is, um, you're seeing in uh, the literature at the moment, is to theorise rather than just just, just, uh, just to describe or evaluate transitional justice, to develop theories of how transitional justice mechanisms might bring about change. And people like Chandra Sriram Sur- Sur- are working on this. Pathways to impact, for instance, between transitional justice and democracy, such as the uh, de of past abusers and potential spoilers, the promotion of reforms, the empowerment of previously marginalised actors. Others look at social mechanisms like norm affirmation and the articulation and disarticulation of networks, like Pablo de Grief. It's, it's, it's interesting work, because if you can theorise how you are going to see uh, the link between a mechanism and some particular outcome, uh, then you may be able to test that. Of course, you then have to find out ways to judge whether or not the theories themselves are robust, but it seems to me that's a, it's an, it is an interesting approach to start looking at these pathways. But it still doesn't solve whether the effects of individual uh, mechanisms can be uh, isolated. Quite a lot of work suggests that you've got to look at the interaction between mechanisms to really know, and including what happens within the domestic system, uh, to know whether or not transitional justice has been successful. And people like Duggan say, actually, you're just never going to be able to establish causal relationships because the change that you're seeking within transitional justice is non-linear and it's the result of multiple interaction of numerous actors. So you're just never going to be able to find a nice, neat way of testing the success of these mechanisms. A third challenge uh, is one of temporality. So Sierra Leone should be a good case to measure success because the decades passed since the end of the Civil War, but it could be that too much time has passed. So there's some who argue that you should only measure the effects of a transitional justice programme immediately that they're happening. So you go and interview somebody as they have testified to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and say what was your experience there and do you think it was useful? Because any success that, you gonna, that can be mapped directly to an institution has got to be measured very quickly. Now there are others who say, you need generation. These mechanisms are not supposed to work fast. They're supposed to set up uh, social um, processes, social institutions, sets of values, which gradually transform a state. And it's totally unrealistic to imagine that you're going to see success very quickly. So we still don't know um, how long you should leave it before you start to make these measurements. And people take very different views. There's also, as I mentioned earlier, a challenge of aggregation. You might have a lot, and i just started to do a table at one stage of the different kinds of claims that people make about all of the different mechanisms, whether they think they're a success or a failure, and you can get ticks and crosses in lots of boxes. Well, what do you do? If you've got the tick? do you add up the ticks and you add up the crosses? And if the ticks are more than the crosses, you say these this whole series of transitional justice mechanisms has been a success. Well, no, of course not, because some of the aspects of the programme are likely to be much more important than others. So can you weigh up the... Um, the fact that the defence office at the Special Court for um, Sierra Leone was uh, extraordinarily badly funded and supported. Uh, the court, quite possibly, um, uh, was prejudiced against the defence, was very heavily influenced by political actors because it had to go and find money. So you have what looks like quite a big negative there. And then you have the improvement in human rights standards in Sierra Leone. And then you have a survey that says that lots of people in Sierra Leone thought the Truth Commission was a good thing. How on earth do you aggregate these together? You've got to start to make some judgment about what's more important. And the final challenge is one of generalizability. So if you could get to a judgment, you would aggregate the work that's been done in the Sierra Leone case. And this is the kind, this is really the meat of this. This is what people want to hear. And this is, you know, I talked for 40 minutes, 45 minutes on all of this detail. Actually, what policymaker wants to hear is, but what can we learn from Sierra Leone to take on to the next place? So, conflict in the DRC finally ends, something happens in Central African Republic and it looks like uh, we can uh, enforce and support a peace. What do you do? Do you use a Truth and reconciliation Commission? Who should be involved in it? Are courts useful? Should they be hybrid? Should they be international? Do you just support the domestic system? So, how do you use what you've learned in one case and know whether or not it's generalisable? Which aspects of context are likely to be relevant? Again, it won't, give you, uh, it won't come as much as was of a surprise. There's a great deal of contradiction within the literature here. People who are willing to say this area in case it's tremendously successful and it's a model that should be applied, particularly the hybrid court and the, uh, the relationship of the court to the truth commission. People say, oh, this is wonderful. We should definitely transpose this to lots of other contexts. And then those, some of whom were very um, heavily involved, William Shabass, for instance, has a very negative view. Um, it compares the Sierra Leone case with South Africa uh, and says that the, uh, you saw a much broader and more dynamic social transformation in South Africa because it's driven by a dynamic civil society and Sierra Leone lags far behind South Africa in this respect. So for him um, his conclusion is that, um, you know, that and he's talking particularly about the TRC, it was enormously limited in its potential and what it could um, uh, uh, contribute to the Sierra Leonean uh, peace going forward. So it's not straightforward to generalise cases um, and to pull out what matters across context. And even if you do, you might find something like, a dynamic civil society matters. Well, there's a real limit to what international actors can do to create a dynamic civil society. So what do you do at that point? Do you give up? And so I get very very quickly to the conclusion I was a bit, you kind of find this research quite depressing, thinking I'm editing a book on evaluating transitional justice sincerely, and with all of these people that have been involved in the processes, really we had a conference to talk about this stuff, lots of interesting conversations, lots of disagreement from people, but you imagine that you're going to be able to get to a position of saying something concluding. Um, and all I got uh, when I was looking to say something concluding was that there might be, um, and this is the final slide, four tools that could be useful. But I think that this is... As I say, it's quite thin, I'm not myself convinced by it, but I'm not sure what else can be drawn from this research, which is honest, because all of the findings are that there's a huge volume of contradiction, um, uh, very little way to pass out the the research that's been done. So my suggestions are uh, that these four tools could help. One is a deep engagement with context, which has both retrospective and prospective elements. So transitional justice, in large part has been evaluated by social scientists, um, but I think rich history is necessary to evaluate transitional justice success well. Strong historical knowledge can be as persuasive or even more persuasive than a robust social science analysis and the SIPS report argues um, in the end in their conclusions that while cross-national findings are important, nothing can replace the art of considered country-specific debate and judgment. So a way to engage with context is through a range of methods. It seems to me not a problem that researchers will approach uh, each case with a lot of different methods um, and testing a lot of different things. And that in the end what you'll get is you won't get an agreement, Um, you'll get a a sort of patchwork of findings. But that patchwork will probably make the debate richer and more nuanced um, because large and medium N, single-country cases are all used and compared against each other. You can move between different levels of focus and analysis and compare the results. So it's not going to lead to agreement, but I think it will lead to more granular and better informed disagreement. Um, it would also help for scholars to be reflexive. Um, very little of this work saw people saying, look, I know that the role of women in transitional justice isn't something that I can find evidence for, but I think it's important and so I'm going to research it. People tend to make statements as if their positions are self-evident. Uh, obviously, you would measure human rights improvements. Obviously, that's something transitional justice mechanisms could impact upon. So, so reflexivity. And then finally, uh, the role of political judgment. So what I didn't want to do was say, well, okay, academic social scientists who do this work shouldn't get involved in policy debates because there are reasons to think that some of what happened within the Sierra in case may have been successful, may have been positive. And I would certainly not take the position that it was a failure and these transitional justice mechanisms should not have been applied. I'm very nervous about saying, well, this is what worked and this is what could work in other contexts. Um, But I'm equally not willing to just jettison the whole thing and say, because we've got a bunch of contradictory results, then nobody should be informing policymakers of what to do. So judgment is necessary. It's kind of impossible, but necessary. And thinking about how to make judgments, how to represent what we actually know, what we think might be the case, what kind of context particular mechanisms might work in, is something that seems to me to be very important to, uh, to keep going and, um, and to keep working on. And there'll be political judgments. You're working through sets of contested claims about whose needs to prioritise, which actors to prosecute, which actors to empower. It matters who gets prioritized within these mechanisms, who it is that is protected from prosecution, who it is that's supported in political power, who it is that makes economic gains, but some people will, and simply taking a hands-off approach and saying we don't know what works, therefore we recommend nothing, I think it's not the position to, to conclude on. So I will leave it there. I mm-hmm. apologize, I've taken a little bit too long. That's uh, totally <laughs> Thank you so much.